I like to categorize myself as a doubles hitter that has the strength to get the ball out of the park, but I love a true backspin line drive, like barreled up. And if it goes, it goes. If it doesn't, I'll stand at second and that's fine. Uh, we ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title, killing the game. Dead on the rise. No mercy for rise. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. All right, so this week on the podcast, we're talking softball. So we have Tori Vidalis on the show. She's a former two-time All-American at Texas A&M. She now plays professional softball for Athletes Unlimited, and she's an SEC network analyst. So in this episode, we cover a little bit of, of everything. We talk a lot about hitting her own career as a hitter, what some of the things that she's learned because she's still playing, and then you know what she was like, what were some of the things she did back in college and even high school from a development standpoint, and then we talk about her as an analyst too. So what are some of the things that she looks for when she's watching games, watching players, how does she go about preparing as an analyst, and then lastly, we talk about Athletes Unlimited and, and professional softball and just continuing to grow the game, so appreciate Tori for coming on. I, I told her this on the podcast. It's it's so easy to do a podcast with someone who is in the, the media industry because they they understand how to how to talk and how to not just give one word answers and there's just a really good flow to it so this was a really easy episode to record appreciate Tori for coming on the show we'll put all of her contact information in the show notes and hope you enjoy so here we go Tori Vidalas All right, Tori, we're now live on the podcast. I uh, appreciate you coming on. Of course, of course. I'm so excited. I've been following on Twitter, and now I'm even more excited to talk to you face-to-face. So you do a, a lot of things in softball. I know we were, before we started recording, you're, you're doing some TV stuff. You're still playing. Um, but take me back to when you were younger. I mean, what, what was your vision for yourself when you were in high school? There's going to be a, there's a lot of high school coaches who listen to this and they're trying to help their their kids play in college someday if they want to. What was what was your high school journey like? Yeah, my high school journey was it feels like so long ago and the rules have changed a lot since then. So I want yeah. to preface like whenever I was in school, people were committing in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Now, thankfully, there's a rule where you can't commit until a little bit later or even have contact with the coaches, which I love. But um, so for me, before I even got into high school, I was kind of already in the college recruiting sphere because of the team that I played with. And we just so happened to play um, in a older group. Like we played 16U and we were only 14. So I think that's where a lot of the college coaches saw us. So I'd like to say that we got a little bit of a head start because we were winning in the 16U bracket. Um, so I got to high school and was already really interested in AM and Texas and a lot of, you know, the Texas schools, the big programs. And I ended up going to a camp at AM my freshman year and I committed the day that they offered me. So I didn't even really take any time to, you know, go on visits or, you know, really decide that that was a place for me. But I think it all worked out. Like I loved where I chose to go, play to AM. You know, I, I wanted, my goal was to be an All-American, to win a national championship, you know, to make it to the World Series. Um, but I knew that for that to happen, I would have to 
get the fundamentals early. And like high school, my select team impact gold, Casey Jackson was like, every single day you have to do your fundamentals, like you have to work. And so I think that's where that started of just, you know, working to get to that, those goals. Um, but I, yeah, I ended up committing my freshman year summer going into sophomore year. So after my commitment, it was a little bit like, Oh, well, all the hard, hard work, right. Quote unquote is done. Cause I'm committed, but now I have to keep that up and make sure that they, we still like, it's a mutual decision for me to come there once I graduated. So that was really the end goal was just to like make it on campus and then take it from there. What did you learn about hitting throughout your college career? Man, I learned so much about hitting. It was crazy thinking back, knowing where I'm at now and thinking like, man, when did I learn that? Or I'll, you know, I read some of your tweets. I'm like, oh yep, that's exactly what I say. And then I'm like, wow, like I had some really great coaches along the way that, you know, just explained to me the way the body is supposed to move and not trying to do too much. I think um, for me, it was always very simple and I was big on body awareness growing up. So my dad is actually has been my hitting coach my entire life. And when we started, we didn't hit off of a tee much. It was just like we would warm up on a tee, get our body a little bit loose, and we would just do front toss, front toss, front toss, front toss. And each pitch we would be talking about, you know, how the ball was coming off the bat, um, where my body was at in comparison to what I was feeling. Um, and just certain things that the ball does where you're, the ball is telling you what your body is doing wrong. And so learning that throughout the years, it gave me a great understanding when I got to college of that body awareness and how to, you know, tweak certain things. Um, but for me, it was just a lot of listening, a lot of talking, a lot of conversations with people who are a lot smarter than me and had accomplished a lot more than I had. And then that turned into, oh, okay, well then when I hear it this way, it makes me think about it this way. So it's just a lot of like curiosity about how can I get better? How can I maximize my efficiency and my swing? And so here I am, but I love talking about hitting. So I, I can just go on and on and on. <laughs> so it's interesting you bring up not hitting off the tee very much as a kid. There was yeah. um, I used to coach high school baseball and the high school I coached at and and played at was the same high school that Kingerford Jr. went to. And the uh, the coach there was his name is Mike Cameron was was um Kingerford Jr.'s coach. And he's been he's one of those guys who's been around for 50 years. And anyway, he was telling me a story about Kingerford Jr. How, you know, once he was a freshman and came in, he had all this hype because his dad was playing in the major leagues and, and everything. And so they finally got into the into the cages and started hitting. And they saw him like hitting off of a tee. And he was awful. And like all the coaches were looking at each other, but like, dang, like this is the guy that everyone's talking about. He's going to be this next great thing. Like that he can't even hit off of a freaking tee. And so they finally like he got him into the actual cage. And had this machine or this guy throwing, and he just started dropping bombs. And so <laughs> afterward, they asked him, I was like, hey, like, do you, I'm like, why was there such a big difference? And he said that my dad never let me use a tee. Like, oh, I've never God. used it. He said that day was the very first day he's ever used a tee in his life. It, <laughs> some people love the tee, and I'm all for it. Like, Amanda Lorenz, uh, she plays in Athletes Unlimited with me. She is like Mrs. T. She wants to hit off the tee all the time but for me like I just can't it's like my rhythm I need my rhythm yeah. and I need the ball coming at me to get in my full swing if not I try to you know get too big or focus on certain things so hey I'm 
I can say I'm like Ken Griffey Jr., so it's not a bad <laughs> yeah, thing. <laughs> I'm, Tori, that's why I brought it up. I'm comparing you to Ken Griffey Jr., right? Hey, I'm with it. I will take that all day. Thank you very much. <laughs> have you have you heard of – because this is something that I've heard from a lot of players, more so on the just the big, like big league side for baseball players, but I'm curious softball side too is – is a lot of the players like the tea because it's it's a form of meditation for them almost. Ooh, I have heard that a lot. Yeah, yeah. just like the repetition. Yeah, it's you can be by yourself like and just high. yeah, you know, it's like the same thing for the tea. But we got to reach over there, put it back on. I'm like getting up my stance. You know, it's just a lot. Right. So what what is what's your routine? I mean, I'm sure it's evolved over the years, but like, what would it be like right now? If you went in to go and had to play a game today, mm-hmm. how would you want to prepare for that game? Well, it's funny. Cause I actually have started looking more into the pre swing routine and just like how to warm my body up more efficiently. So throughout the years, like I've always been a quality over quantity person. So I'd rather get, you know, one solid bucket of, quality BP of really focusing on things, working on whatever I need to work on um, rather than just swinging, swinging, swinging. But for a game, I love to just be able to get my body warm. So whatever that may be, if it's like, Oh, I need to take a jog to the fence and back do like just active stretching. Um, I love to do um, pass throughs with my back, get my shoulders. My back is a really part, a big part of my swing specifically. So I like to warm that up a lot of stretching as I get older. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but um swinging wise I love to do just a little bit on the tee in terms of like you know I'll do 10 down the middle 10 outside 10 inside just to get like my mechanics working and then if there's anything specific that I feel I need to work on a little bit more I'll, I'll dive a little bit into that but I've never been like a really big drill person per mm-hmm. se I think it's all been like Hey, just front toss to me. And I, I can feel my body a lot of times. Like I'm really big on just my um, body awareness and how it's moving through space. So I can always tell whether I'm on or off. And so I'll step out, you know, just give myself a couple breaths. Okay. You need to focus on this, this, and this. And I'm usually able to figure that out in the scope of like two, three, four pitches. So not very complicated, very, very easy, mellow. What were, you said you, you would sometimes step out and and say, I need to focus on this, this, and this, like, what are some examples of of what those would be? So for me personally, I wrap my bat and I have really quick hands. So I've found throughout the years that my hands have been trained to be so far back because my whip or my turn is so fast that if it's not wrapped, I turn off, like turn and burn on everything and can't keep it fair. Um, so a lot of times I will start to get more away. Like my, the end of my bat will, should be pointing at the pitcher, but it'll start to like flare a little bit and go behind me. Mm -hmm. So I'll think like, okay, I need to see my barrel. I need to see my barrel when I'm looking at the pitcher, I can see it in my peripherals over my left shoulder. And, um, or if, you know, I'm pulling off, this way I'll say, okay, front shoulder, front shoulder, or I'll say, um, back shoulder inside part of the ball just to get me like on it and on plane. Um, if I'm sliding my hips, I will, um, just tell myself like slice the ball in half with my back hip. So I'll think like to it, to the ball instead of like lazy forward sliding motion. So it's just like little things that I've found throughout the years, like keywords for me to help you know, get back into that right feeling of my swing. 
Hmm, slice the ball with your back hip. I don't think I've heard that one before. Yeah. So I always explain it when I did do lessons back in the day, it was like really young girls. And I'd be like, okay, you know, the game fruit ninja. They're like, yeah, I love it. Okay. So I'm like, okay, imagine there's like a blade that's 45 degrees on your back hip pointing like back towards the catcher. And if you were going to throw that hip as hard as you can, like you're going to try to slice a piece of fruit, just like right down the middle. And I found that it helped them with the momentum of getting their hip to turn. And so then I started thinking about it that way. And I was like, oh, Mm. okay, that makes sense. Like just like slamming the door almost, but giving yourself a different term almost makes a different light bulb click in the head. And that's what I like about hitting is that you could say the exact same thing 50 different ways. Right. That's, and that's why I like, you know, talking with people like you and just all these coaches, because I'm sure for the most part, we all believe very similar things, but you may say it just a little bit different, kind of what you just said right there. And so, you know, it's just adding more tools to your tool belt, right? So you never know what type of player you're going to, you're going to have in the, in the cage. And so just having all these tools is so crucial because you never know what's, what you need to bring out and give it to a player. And literally one thing could change them forever. Yeah. And that's the thing where you're like, oh, like you can see them. They're so close. And even yourself, you're like, oh, I'm so I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I just need to hear that one thing. Mm-hmm. And usually it's my dad. He always has that one thing to tell me. I'm like, oh, duh. Like, how have I been forgetting that one thing? You know, still happens to the best of us. <laughs> so are, are you planning on ever coaching down the road? I get this question a lot. And I I always say no, because the lifestyle is really tough, you know, yeah. like. I love softball, but I think I love a lot of things. And so I'm like, I just wonder what life could be, you know, post softball. What could, what things could I fall into that I love? Um, I don't want to ever write it off because I, I love the feeling of seeing it click for someone else because of the way you helped them. And I think that's super rewarding, but the lifestyle is tough and it's, it's demanding. And I, I've been through that time in my life. I don't know if I want to do it again, but. Well, you kind of still are because you're still playing a little bit, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So what I've I been doing some research before uh, we're doing this podcast. I was looking up some of the professional leagues. What's the biggest difference between Athletes Unlimited and then the, the WPF? Yeah. So um, AU has been, this, this summer will be the fourth summer that it's been, um, I guess, playing. So we started right in the middle of COVID, which was really tough. But the biggest thing is AU is comprised of 60 athletes and it works like fantasy sports. Like, so fantasy football, there's always going to be a captain and those captains are the top four on the leaderboard each week. So throughout the games, you get personal like individual points and you get team points so you know a single is 10 points doubles 20 triples 30 all that good stuff and then um if you win the inning your whole team gets 10 points and if you win the game you get 50 points at the end of each game you vote on three top mvps so those mvps get mvp1 gets 60 40 20 for mvp3 so and each at the end of each week it kind of starts over so the top four captains they choose you know they get four pitchers two catchers three middle infielders so you field your team you are now the coach there's no coaches there's no gms it's completely player run um we have a player executive committee which i'm a part of and it's five uh players from the league who basically act as the voice for the league 
making decisions about, you know, uniforms, um, player activation off the field, um, even like roster choices. Like we have, we decide who, um, the 60 are that gets contracts. So that can be a tough job as well. But, um, and then on the other side, WPF is really close to how the MPF was run and PF was, um, it stopped right during COVID, but it is just the basic follows the exact, um, model as like an MLB league where you have a set team, you travel to and from the games, um, it's fairly new and I've never played in it. So I don't want to speak too much on WPF, but um, yeah, I think the biggest difference is just the change every single week. And we found that uh, our co-founders, John Patrickoff and Jonathan Soros have talked about how, when they were researching softball players go to the world series and these fans will follow the players, but they don't tend to follow the teams after they graduate. So like say a Sydney Romero was a huge name in college at OU ends up going to the pride in the MPF and, you know, people just care about her. They don't necessarily care about following the team. So the way that AU looks at it is people are going to fall in love with the player more so than the team. So then you get to root for that specific player each week and follow how they're doing on the leaderboard and then also get to know from more familiar faces as they're on different teams each week. What, what are your personal thoughts on that model? I love it. From a personal standpoint, like one, you're playing for yourself, right? Which yes, is sounds bad, but the way AU has like modeled the points, we figured out that the only way to do really well is to get win points. And the only way to win is to work as a team unit. So now you see like the textbook softball things like a sack bunt. Like how many WPF teams do you think are going to sack bunt when there's not like a big reward at the end of that inning for, you know, a sack bunt. You're like, you're not getting rewarded for those little things. And so I think it almost strips the game back down to ground zero and like, what's the goal of a game is to win every inning so that you can win the game. And that's what AU has done so beautifully is it's taken like this almost individual uh, perspective on like, oh, I want to be in the top 10. I want to finish here. But the only way to do that is if you're playing team ball and you can figure out a way to win each inning. So it's really stripped it down. And it's also allowed us to play a lot more free. Like you see 20, 30 year old women on the field and we are just having the best time playing softball that we've ever had. And it's because we are like self-governing ourselves and realizing, you know, what we need to play is what we can give ourselves. We don't have to like abide by anybody else's rules. It's like, whatever you need to play well, do it. And no one says anything about it. And it's great. Is it all in one location or do you guys have to travel? It is. It's all in one one location. So we play in Rosemont, Chicago. We're like five minutes from uh, O'Hare. And a lot of times the planes will fly over. And I always think of that. But um, it's that's a, another really big plus is we don't have to travel. Our league is only five weeks of competition. So you have five weeks and you play three games each week. And you're playing each team once. And at the end um, of the year, like everything is there. So you, you have a draft that's held in the bubble. We have great accommodations, this huge bubble that houses our locker rooms. We have um, cages inside the bubble. We have two full-size fields. Pretty much anything we need can be taken, uh, can be done in the dome. And then the parking lot 
field right there. So it's also close. It's a great setup. We uh, completely eliminate the travel aspect of a pro league, which is usually the most draining, I I think. But um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's everything I could want from a league. And I love the fact that they are continuously pushing for us in other aspects of just on the field. Like we have a great content team. We have a great um, player activation. Like we've had talks on, you know, how to do your taxes, how to be financially responsible and how to transition out of sport. There's a lot of things that people don't think about as a pro athlete, like living in that sphere. So to get people that understand and see us, it's amazing. Do you ever envision uh, the league itself or maybe both leagues combining? And uh, do you ever envision players being able to make six figures a year, like everybody playing professional softball? Because I don't see why you couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I think the fan base is there. I yeah, think I do right too. now what softball, to, in my opinion, that has been really killing it in terms of like killing the sport not like killing it and doing so well, but killing it badly is all of the competition with all the leagues. And it's hard because, you know, there's a lot of people that have been in this sport a long time that feel like they want the most say. And then, you know, there's the new people that are coming in trying to say like, Hey, let's start something new. And I think until you get to a point where everybody is putting the sport and the athletes over the money and over the egos, I think that's when, will truly see something beautiful blossom. Cause I would love to play, you know, in both leagues and make something happen. But right now with the dates and, you know, the contracts, like it's just not able to happen, but I'm hoping, I think it's possible. I really think it's possible. It's going to come down to someone having a great model and having everyone on board and really just like pushing for the sport and not so much worrying about everything else on the outside. Right. Yeah. It'd be like Major League Baseball, like another league starting major starting another com- competitor to Major League Baseball back when they started too. Yes, like, well, exactly. Major League Baseball is never going to take off if they're always competing against themselves in a sense. 100%. I think that'll be a big part too, is if, if you can get MLB backing, yeah. I think that's when you really see it start to shoot off. Because I mean, look at the WNBA and the NBA, like they play off of each other. And that's what has really like helped the WNBA, like come up is all these incredible basketball players are playing in the NBA being like, Hey, like these WNBA lead, they can ball too, you know? So I think it takes a little bit of support from not only the players, but the network itself. Totally. I want to, I want to hear about your TV commentating now, because I know this is way harder than people think and realize. So I, I just want to hear how you, how you, how you've evolved so far. Like what, what, when you started out first started doing the TV stuff, what was it like? What'd you learn? Like, I'm pretty, I'm just really interested in it. Yeah. It's funny that you're asking this. Cause I had this conversation with, um, Kayla bro and Alyssa Lang, who we worked the sec tournament together for the studio. And I started my very first year out of college, um, with sec network. And I had worked for 12th man productions, which is like A&M's in-house broadcast team for three years while I was, you know, playing, going to school, doing all this, on the side, I would go into the office and, you know, work on videos, learn different positions. So I was in it pretty early, but the studio is like a whole different monster in itself. And so the first time I was, I've always been really comfortable in front of the camera. Like it doesn't scare me. Um, but the information that you have to now explain, or you can't just like look at something and be like, 
oh, that's a good play. Like you have to be able to break it down and say why it's a good play. And when I was fresh out of college, I think a big part was I was nervous to like say the wrong thing or, you know, make a bold prediction because I was so young and felt like people were like, oh, well, she doesn't have the credentials. Whereas, you know, as you get older and more, you know, just sure of yourself, I've noticed a big difference in just how I'm presenting myself. You know, I'm talking a little bit slower. I'm um, bringing up different stats that I wouldn't have even looked at before. Um, I'm evaluating players in a different way than I would before. I used to evaluate them as a player. I'd be like, oh, she's not that good. Like, you know, like, you know, you just like pick things apart. You're like, oh, well, if we played them, we would have beat them. And now you have to shift that brain into like, okay, why are they having so much success? What do I see in their swing? What's their defense doing that makes them um, so good at turning double plays? You know, just little things like that. But I think the biggest thing was not being afraid, like, at the beginning I was so afraid to be told no. And now I just do things and then let people direct me after that. And so even the small things of, you know, being in the newsroom before the show. So you get there, our schedule normally looks like this. So our night shows usually probably around 10, 11 PM. We get to the studio. You're just chilling. Nobody's there to welcome you in. Like you just kind of like have to go in and you're there. And you know, you got to sit down and watch all the games. You know, you got to pull up stat broadcasts, look for things that are happening during the game. You know, who's scoring, who's pitching, who's doing well. All, but meanwhile, all seven games, at least for baseball, mine's like five or six, but five or six games that are up all at one time. So on Friday night, they'll all start at like six or 7 p.m. So you're trying to watch all these games at once. And then you have to talk to your producer about what what do you want to talk about in the show? And you're like, I don't know, like the games haven't happened yet. Well, they're like, okay, well, make your predictions, you know, or who do you think is the top three SEC players of the year? And so before I would try to cram everything in and then just spew out everything I knew about these teams. And now I'm, you know, talking with the producer. So we have a rundown of everything that we're going to talk about in the show so that everybody knows where we're going, what highlights we're doing. Now, you know, I'll talk to the producer. I'll be like, hey, can you print me one out? Like print me out a rundown so I know exactly who I'm talking about at what time, uh, what do I need to have prepared, all of this stuff. So even the matter of like turning the games on, I used to not turn the games on because I was afraid that somebody else wanted to watch something on the TV. But I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the one needing to analyze these games. Like, let me turn them on. So now I'll just walk up and I'm just like, turn them on. And I'm waiting for somebody to tell me, oh, sorry, don't do that. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, no problem. But I think that's just like, you know, getting more comfortable with yourself and like being more confident and knowing that like, hey, this is my job. I belong here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and getting better each show. So that's a big part of my journey. I think it's just the confidence and the self-assuredness of speaking about the game. Like I know how to speak about the game. Is there anybody that you've looked up to, studied, watched in the in the TV entertainment space? Honestly, no. no. I I always saw people like on TV and I I always knew what it was like when they were uh, commentating, but I didn't understand even what it was until after I graduated. I was like, "Wait, I'm doing the replays?" Like so funny. I was about to call my very first game at Texas A&M and it was just a digital broadcast which means it's only like on the app and uh so people have to like really go find my game uh 
and Amanda Scarborough, Aggie legend, ESPN analyst, like she's awesome. She calls me. She's like, Hey, like heard you're calling your first game. Are you so excited? Like, um, do you want any tips? I'm like, yes, please give me all the tips. So she's like, okay, well, so just so you know, like, this is the play by play that, you know, they're talking about what's happening and you're the why, like you're the color, like you're bringing it to life. You're telling me why things are good. And I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. Like I'm taking all this information in and she's like, yeah, so you have all the replays. So anytime a replay comes up, you have to take it. And she's like, oh, also don't try not to talk over the pitcher because that's, um, like if something happens, you don't want to be in the middle of their call. So she's like spewing all of these really great tips at the time for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought it was so overwhelming. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm just going to have to try to copy what I hear people say. And I think that's why everyone gets this TV voice because we're all trying to pretend like somebody else we've heard on TV. Yeah. <laughs> But um, so she helped me out a lot with that. And now it's like, I'm helping people. And I'm like, wow, is this what I was like at the beginning? Because you, you just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So it's been a journey for sure. But I, I love games. Games is definitely a different monster than studio as well. But they're both really fun and I enjoy them. But it's been a journey for sure. <laughs> Do you have a phrase you go to or just something like if there's dead air time and you're like, man, I have nothing. I don't know what to say right now. Actually, no, I'm a big fan of dead air. Like I kind of like to let the game breathe a little bit, especially with softball. There's so much going on. And I have noticed when I'm watching a game, I enjoy sometimes when you can just like take a breath and hear mm -hmm. the, you know, the crowd, the girls in the dugout, um, different, like a foul ball. I love being able to hear a foul ball come off the bat because, you know, for us, it, it sounds different when they just miss it or if they're, you know, hitting it off the end of their barrel. So I like to listen to, to um, the sights and sounds of the place that they're playing. But also I lean heavily on my play-by-play -play to kind of fill that air. So if we have good um, commod whoa, camaraderie, then we'll be able to like play off of each other and make jokes and have a good time. Whereas if you're working with someone new, they might not know your sense of humor um, so you kind of just let them lead. And if they want to go into like a story or a stat, then they kind of set you up for that question. Or if there's something that I want to talk about, I can be like before the inning even starts. I'm like, Hey, I want to talk about, you know, uh, Michaela Edenfield at Florida state. I want to talk about her swing, why it's so good. So next time she comes up to bat, like ask me about her. So it's, it's much more of a, a team game than a lot of people think. Um, but it's, it can be beautiful once it all plays out smoothly. Which Do you go back and, and watch or listen to yourself afterward? Sometimes I will. I think a lot more I did in the beginning, which I should go back and watch a lot more uh, game wise. But there was one I remember specifically, there was a phrase I kept saying, like, look here or right here or like, look here in this replay. Like I kept saying here and Meg Aronowitz, who's my boss, she was like, I want you to go back and listen. And I want you to tally every time you said the word here. And I was like, oh God, okay. And so I went back and it's like 60 something times. I was like, oh wow, no, no, no. Okay, we got to fix that. So now I'm very cognizant of, you know, certain words or certain phrases that I like hear myself saying over and over again. And I'll be like, okay, you got to get away from that one. You can't say that one anymore. Think of something new. So I'm glad she said that though, because now I'm aware of it and I'm thinking about it the whole time. I'm like, oh, how many times have I said that? Okay, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> Do you interview people too, like coaches or players? 
Yeah. So sometimes we'll do um, on studio. I actually am doing rally cap this weekend for the first time this season. And on there, we'll do a lot of coaches interviews, player interviews, which those are fun because sometimes they're off field. So they'll just, you know, be chilling in their room or, you know, driving, maybe them not driving, but being safe. <laughs> uh, or during the games, we'll do coaches interviews in the fourth and then player interviews after the game, which those are cool. I like to see people's personalities, especially if they're like nervous or just excited. What What is harder, interviewing or commentating? I think it depends on the day for me. I think if I'm really comfortable with someone and know that they have like good banter, I'm like, I will interview you all day. Like Tim Walton is a great interview for me because I feel like I really got to know him the past year and was able to like talk to him about the game in a way that like we kind of see eye to eye. So I could see myself like asking him questions about certain phrases that he had or like, the way he saw this specific situation, maybe I want him to expand on that. Um, it's a little easier that way. But then there's sometimes where coaches are very just like cut and dry and they're giving you, giving you the exact answer that you asked and that's it. They're not going to give you any extra. So in that sense, I'm like, okay, I'd rather commentate because then you're just by yourself and you have to think like, okay, what, do, you know, what do I think this team wants me to get out there for them? Like what's a message or what's a story that they want to be heard about their team. So it depends on the person, but I think both can be fun if it's like the right energy. I'm a big energy person. I'm feeding off of the energy. So, yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think well, that's one of the reasons like when I, uh, you know, saw you on Twitter, I'm like, oh, she works for the SEC network. She comes, she's going to get it. Like she, if, yeah. if she wants to come on the podcast, it's not going to be this awkward. I ask a question and she gives five words and then that's it. Right. And so it makes it so much easier and just more fun too, because the other person just gets it. Um, on the, on the baseball side, I've talked to commentators at, at the big league level and had a few on the podcast. And one of the things that, that they've said is they, is that we've talked about analytics and like moving analytics into the game through commentary. And they said like, we got to be careful with it. Cause you don't want to, you don't want the, the viewer to feel like you're talking over their head. Is there a way or a system you have into trying to bring some of the the newer numbers or analytics into into TV, or is it just they're not even you're not even worried about it right now? Yeah, so we actually work with um, six four three charts okay. and Synergy Sports. They have been incredible about giving all sorts of tools and like new data. And the cool thing is, is like data is is data, right? And you can incorporate it how you see fit. So, you know, you don't have to shove it down people's throats. Um, even like as a player, you don't have to like, okay, your launch angles at this, your um, bat speed is at this, you know, like giving them all these stats, like maybe probing to see like how much they're interested in. So I think for me, when I'm calling a game, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, let's just drop little nuggets here and there, see how people like them. Like then if you see good feedback, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to bring in things that I know that the general viewer could understand with a brief explanation. So like a heat map is a great way to bring that into where you can see like, okay, so she's really good at hitting that inside pitch. If I'm a pitcher, I'm going to set her up to go to that inside pitch and I'm going to try to beat her, you know, in her point of weakness or, you know, whatever it is. And um, there's cool things that you can bring in that I think uh, once you get with like an ESPN stats person where they give you really good nuggets and you're like, Oh, amazing. Let me like look up 
what she is zero for one, like what's her count in an zero for one count or whatever it is. And so bringing small things that the general viewer would understand, if I have to really break it down, it's probably not the place to share it. So, and I also think like, what do I want to see? Like, what's interesting to me? So if, if it's interesting to me, it's probably interesting to someone else who enjoys the game and like understands it as well. What have you noticed about just hitters in general throughout the course of this this season or maybe the last couple of years when you're watching them? Like, what are some things that that maybe you look for when you're just watching games and watching hitters in the box? I've noticed a lot of people striking out. Like, it sounds crazy, but the strikeout numbers have been just astronomical. And maybe that's because we're sacrificing average for power and, like, would rather hit for more home runs than average. But I was personally always like a – I like to categorize myself as a doubles hitter that has the strength to get the ball out of the park, but I love a true backspin line drive, like barreled up. And if it goes, it goes, if it doesn't, I'll stand at second and that's fine. Um, so I always hit for both average and power. And so nowadays, you know, we either see these slappers with these really high 400 or 500 averages. And then we see the power hitter who has, you know, 14 home runs, but they've got 50 strikeouts. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm looking at, does this boil down to their approach or like sticking to their approach, like actually putting the plan into motion or is it the unpreparedness from the scouting aspect, which I don't think is the, the issue because these coaches, I've seen the way they scout and I've seen just the information that is readily available to the players. So Part of me also thinks that like everybody wants to be the hero. So they're like trying to swing bigger, trying to make, make everything a little bit grander instead of just like sticking to the game that they know. Um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of strikeouts, which is kind of shocking. Cause I, I think that the pitchers that were pitching whenever I was in school and like even a few years before me dominant and like you think they were better than the pitchers now overall that's why i'm like i'm constantly in a in a battle in my head because i'm like you look at someone like you know a hannah rogers a lauren hager who was just a powerhouse but had an incredible change up like you just don't see the change up as much anymore and i'm wondering if that is like an issue because we now we see like a maddie penta who has an incredible change up pitches at auburn um, has like a drop change combo and she tunnels it. And that's where she sees a lot of those strikeout numbers. And then I'm thinking like, okay, how many pitchers really have a good change up? And it's not very many. So I'm wondering if it's just like the lack of an, uh, an elite change up, or if it truly is just like these pitchers were better, but I feel like the change up has been not as much of a factor now as it was whenever I was in school. What's your approach at the plate? Man, if it's over the white, I'm hitting it. <laughs> I've always been like, if I start thinking too much in the box, my brain will go boop, like a million different directions. So I usually have, I'll pick a side of the plate. I'm like, okay, I want to hit an inside pitch. And if I get anything that I'm ready for, my hands can adjust really quickly to like low high. So as long as I'm getting my hips cleared on the inside pitch, I can usually get to it. Um, but as the game goes on, of course, you get like a different approach going into it. Like if you get, you hit a, a two run home run pull side, they're most likely going to try to set you up for that out pitch. So you just have to be like 
thinking about what they're thinking about and like, you know, the chess game and the game within the game. But I like to keep it as simple as possible and like two, like two strike approach. I'm like, all right, if it comes anywhere close, I'm swinging. Mm. Do you, so it seems to me that you just have like, a, oh, just natural good bat to ball skills, I would say. Yes. Sometimes too good. Like you're swinging at a pitch, trying to foul it off and it somehow goes fair and dribbles to the pitcher. I'm like, couldn't you fail me once? Just fail me one time. <laughs> what about your teammates? What, like, what are some common approaches that, that you hear they have? It's actually really cool to hear everyone's approach, like sitting at the front of the dugout. I love to hear like just great hitters talk about what they're looking for. So it usually changes from pitcher to pitcher. And that's the thing about AU as well is like all 16 pitchers are elite pitchers. Like you're not just bringing anybody to just come and eat up a few innings here and there. Um, so, you know, it'll be based on what they've seen all season with that specific pitcher. Cause a lot of the same pitcher catcher batteries will stay, try to stay together but then you have to factor in the catcher as well. Like they call it different games. So like we know Taylor Edwards likes to call the change up. So she's like, if this pitcher has a change up, we're going to be like, all right, I'm going to sit the change. Cause I know I'm going to get at least one in this AB. So I'm like, okay, you take away the change and then I'll take away the inner half. And so sometimes we'll like bounce off of each other and say like, okay, you take this pitch. I'll take this pitch. Cause we know we're going to get both and make her tentative to throw anything. But a lot of times just it's really just one big it depends is a bad answer but it's so true um but i mostly hear either somebody working on a specific pitch or a specific speed gotcha what what's the toughest pitcher you've ever faced who's the toughest pitcher you ever faced Ooh, ever um probably monica abbott just because she throws so dang hard you blink and you miss it you really got to be ready. You really have to be ready. <laughs> so if you know you're facing her, let's just say for a game today, mm-hmm. how would you go about preparing for that? Well, I know she throws fast, so I'm going to work on loading slow and early, um, making sure I'm at a good launch position and maybe even working like a couple swings from my launch or like my toe touch. So getting my toe touch and then just working on firing, but staying inside. Monica likes to work a lot out. So I'll work mostly on out and then let my hands react to in mostly because I might die if it hits me. Um, but so the outside work on that out, she has a changeup, but she doesn't throw it a lot. So it's not really a factor. So I'll just like completely eliminate that one from my mind. And if it is like a, a two strike count, she throws one. It's just kind of like a foul it off type type situation, but I would work on staying inside the ball and not pulling like anything. Cause for me, the pulling comes natural, um, to get like open to a ball, but for that outside, just really stay on the outer half, maybe do like some parallel to the, the back slant of the plate, keeping inside and then, um, just quick hands. So slow and fast and then quick hands. What about machines? Do you do machines at all? We did machines a lot in college. I think those were great for me to learn the swing like what's the most efficient way to get to this pitch or we did a lot of like drop ball rise ball combos and changing your swing to that specific pitch because that's what gets a lot of people is like you know when the ball can go both ways you're swinging a drop ball path for a rise ball you're never going to hit it so the the ability to 
yes, you know where it's going, but they have some of the different ones where you can program them now and um, you don't know what pitch is coming next. So I like to use that one to mimic like a real live AB almost. And um, for like the consistent pitches, just finding the best way to get to that pitch. Like, and can I challenge myself to get better each pitch and not make the same mistake twice? So like constantly making that adjustment and trying to figure out, you know, where is my swing uh, best? Like, where's my best contact point? Um, making sure my connection stays tight, you know, just different things that I can work. And it's great because it's always in the same spot. A, a, a machine for me is like a T for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Every time, yeah. But it's moving. So I can feel like I can get my full swing off and not have to worry about like, oh, is this the same motion that I do every time? Is this the same stride? Is this the same everything? So it's more consistency and like um, the grind, I think, for the machine. What what do you want to see this season from yourself that you didn't do last year? Like, is there something you want to improve upon for this upcoming season, for this season that's almost here? Yeah, I so last year, I think a big thing for me was not feeling like my bat was a weapon until like later in the season. And uh, like the last three series, it was like something clicked in my head to where I'm like, no one's getting me out. Like I'm, I'm locked in. My swing feels good. You're not going to beat me on any pitch. Um, and I saw that, like I saw the results that came from that positive mindset and like, even just like feeling good in my body, like how I was moving, like my flexibility, my strength, my preparedness for like the season itself. So um, I would love to be able to feel that the whole five weeks and like not let the slide of the season, like, take you too high, too low, just like staying even keel working on like just me. And that was something I started to do that at the end of last season, because since it is a leaderboard, like the whole time you're just up and down the leaderboard, depending on, you know, who's played, like if you have the second day game of the day, the first game is going to push all these people to the top of the leaderboard and you're stuck at the bottom. Like that could so easily mess with your head of like, Oh my God, well, I'm going to be in 45th place. Like, oh, like I'm never going to make it to the top. Instead, you just like play a consistent game, uh, do what you need to do, play team ball, get all those inning win points. And then if you're working for that game win, um, but trying to stay away from the leaderboard and not letting that impact the way I feel about myself or my play. And just knowing that like each game is a different game. It's a new day um, and anything can happen. So that probably. neutral, that neutral mindset that you're talking about of like not being too high, not being too low, it's so important, but yet so hard, right? It's, it's so, so hard. hard. Yeah. So many outside factors, like like I was mentioning, the leaderboard, like that that really messed people up in the season, and it has every single season. And some people were like, oh, okay, last season I looked at the leaderboard like almost every hour. I'm just not gonna look, and I'm like, oh, the only time I check it will be after the last game so that I know who the captains are. <laughs> like yeah. I try to not check it as much as possible because like, why put yourself through the agony when it doesn't end today? Like I can do nothing about the leaderboard right now. The only thing, the only time I can control it is when I'm on the field. And if I'm on the field thinking about the leaderboard, I'm probably not locked in. Right. So yeah. it's like, you have to choose and like, know yourself like I know that if I keep looking at that leaderboard I'm gonna spiral and think like oh my god I gotta get up there I like people are gonna think I suck like you know you just gotta prove yourself but I'm like I'm already here I'm already performing I finished in the top 10 two times out of three years like 
I'm like, I don't, I feel like I shouldn't have to prove myself anymore. Now I'm proving it to me. Like mm -hmm. I want to show up for myself and not worry about other people. So I think that's the biggest thing. It's just like mindset and getting myself to a comfortable spot, like with my swing, my mindset and like just stepping in that box, like it's a sword and I'm just about to go ham, you know? Yeah. Who, Tori, who, who do you think that is the best hitter in the world? Ooh, in the world? That's tough. I don't even know. I feel like every answer is wrong. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you. In the world. That's a big one. I mean, I should be like me, but, but like, I'm okay knowing that like somebody out there is also a great hitter. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I try not to compare myself because then you run into, okay, well, this person's better than me and well, no, I have to prove it to myself. So I've always struggled with that. Like, who's the best? I'm like, well, I don't really care who's the best. I'm still going to play him and give him my best, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, but some great hitters that I've come across in the softball world, Amanda Lorenz is an, an incredible hitter. Haley McClenney, freak of nature in the best way possible. Um, Jesse Warren, best bad ball hitter I've ever seen. Balls out of shoelaces, right center gap, 250. <laughs> I'm like... I didn't get that gene. You want to pass them over here, but I think there's so many great hitters, especially. What about, what about in college this year? Like, well, who's the Ooh. best college hitter that you've seen this year? This year, honestly, Maya Brady has been dominating. It was funny. Cause uh, my boyfriend was asking last night, cause he just heard Brady and he was like, Oh, that's Tom Brady's niece. Right. And I was like, yes. Oh, it, it really is. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, okay. And, uh, because everyone always talks about that. And he was like, but is she really good though? And I'm like, yeah, she's really good. I'm like, she's, she's an all American. She's the pack 12 player of the year. She's all pack first team. I'm like, she's good. Don't worry. Yeah. She's not getting that just because of uh, her uncle. Right. Of the notoriety. I'm like, uh, -uh home girl can hit. So first of all, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, second of all, where can people like follow you, connect with you if they, if they want to follow and hear more? Yeah, so I'm just at Vidalis Tori on a bunch of socials, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all the goods. I'm pretty much anywhere. Don't I'm not on a lot on Twitter, but I'm always watching. I don't post, but I'm watching. So. There you go. That's smart. That's smart. All right, Tori, appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me.